Okay, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I spoke with Becky Flint, a former YouTuber, Forbes 13 and 30, and co-founder of an influencer agency, Pepper Studio. It was such a fantastic episode, and we covered her crazy YouTube background, how she became famous in Japan after one of her videos went viral at the age of 13, and how this led to her life changing forever. It's an amazing sort of story. I would highly, highly recommend that you listen to this. And also why she decided to go into influencer marketing and how she set up her own agency after being let go from her previous job. And also, of course, more practical advice of how you can use influencers to impact your very own business as well. It was probably one of my best episodes that I've done for a very long time. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, I highly recommend that you stay to the very end for this one. So that brings me to this week's shout out. So in case you don't know, every week I'm giving a shout out to someone who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts as a way of saying thank you. And so this episode, this shout out goes to Mo from Eddie Cat, who was our guest on the previous episode, episode number 74, who said, great conversation. It was great to have a chat with Sina about our mission and journey towards democratizing access to personalized education. Thank you so much, Mo, for that review. Really nice to hear that you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If you want to listen to that episode after this one, of course, then please be sure to, yeah, just listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Actually, it wasn't on YouTube, that episode, because his camera wasn't working, but well, it's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you can listen to it straight after this one. And if you want to get a shout-out in the next episode, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, and as a thank you, I'll give you a shout-out in the next episode. Okay, I won't talk for too much longer, because this is a very good episode, so enjoy. Hey Becky, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really good. I'm so, so excited to have you on the podcast. I've been waiting for a while to get you on. And it's a cool topic we're going to talk about today as well, because it's like, it's all stuff to do with influencers. And we haven't really touched influencers for some time. I think the last time I can think back is, is we had Kamal on the podcast, which he's an influencer himself, a fitness influencer. And that was like a long time ago. That was like November time. So really excited to have you on the podcast, basically, because it's a topic that's very, very hot right now, but it's a topic we haven't covered for a while. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's something I always am happy to talk about, and it's obviously very close to my my heart, because I feel like my whole story ever since I was like 12 has just stemmed from this influencer path and from both sides, from, you know, firsthand experience to starting an agency as well. It's quite, it's quite unique, because your childhood's like you're in your sort of like mid 20s now like your childhood was like basically you were you were an influencer before the word influencer was even a job right like that must be that's, that's such a unique position to grow up in yeah exactly i mean ever since i was really young my parents had always been very keen to um just make sure that we were going to be in touch with like this future generation you know they saw the internet and, and computers were coming out and they didn't really know it too well themselves but they're like this is going to be super important so we've got to make sure that our kids are really hot on it so um i always had you know access to like internet and, and computers ever since i was really young um i remember always just feeling that whenever i was consuming content online i also felt like i wanted to give back to those communities and create as well so you know when i was watching youtube videos back in like 2006 2007 when the platform first launched i was you know watching watching youtube and i always felt like i, I don't just want to watch it i want to i want to do it too and i want to join in and, and give back to this community that i'm getting so much back from myself 2006 that was literally like 
2006 is so long ago that that must have been literally as it as YouTube launched yeah it really was yeah there was actually another website before it I think it was called bolt.com and that was like the YouTube before YouTube existed and it is defunct now um it doesn't exist anymore but yeah people who people were making YouTube videos before YouTube even existed over there it was it was mad so how, how old were you at this stage where you were watching these sort of like very early stage YouTube videos and there wasn't like that much content back then. So it was like, at what age were you when you started making these, like making YouTube videos? So I started my YouTube channel in 2007 um, and I was 12 years old. So I was very young. I think the terms of service say you've got to be 13. So um, hopefully they won't catch up to me and take away my account. But yeah, um, I was I was really young. Um, and just, just really enjoying, you know, getting involved with the YouTube scene, even though I was probably a little bit too young to do that. <laughs> I did yeah. anyway. So what sort of videos, what sort of videos were you doing? Um, I was just making like videos with my friends, as you do when you're a, you're a kid, you know, nobody's really watching um, your, your videos. Like it's, you know, only a handful of views, probably from Vox or something. Um, but it's just kind of like the ex excitement of posting. I think it's probably quite similar to what a lot of, um, you know, young kids are, are experiencing with TikTok today is like, you know, you don't really get any views, but you enjoy the process of creating videos. Um, but my, my YouTube journey kind of started to take off after I so this is very niche but when I was really young there was this community of girls on YouTube who would recreate the dances like there was dance routines set to Japanese pop music and pop songs so every music video would have like a dance routine set to it and these girls would learn the dances and post them and I was like that looks like so much fun um how cool I'm gonna do the same and so I did my videos didn't really go anywhere for quite a while and then all of a sudden one day I woke up and you know how some websites you have email notifications on um so if you get like a new follower a new friend request anything I had this on my YouTube and I woke up to like 2,000 emails saying like this person subscribed to your account and I was like what the heck is going on but my views on YouTube didn't really increase that much so I was like something I've been posted somewhere but I don't know what or who or why something's going on and and yeah that's kind of where it all started and my video went viral in Japan that is crazy and you were what like 13 14 yeah I was I was 13 when my video went viral so I was it was only a year after starting really um and like the scale of viral has changed a lot since back then so you know I was only getting like it it was maybe like 10 20 30,000 views and it was like but it, it was big it was on the number one ranking of like the videos that day so like the, the scales of the internet have really changed since then and yeah so you went you went viral in japan like what what was next like what happened like did your life change yeah i mean this is the point where like my life really forked off into two paths where it's like before i was on a certain trajectory somewhere i don't know where but since my video went viral, it's gone this different path that I'm living on right now. So I always wonder, like, what's happening on that other timeline where my video, I didn't do <laughs> my, yeah, it always keeps me up wondering. Um, but yeah, I mean, after my video went viral, so um, my parents like knew what I was doing, but they were not, I don't think they were really prepared for the, this next step, which was um, companies basically saying, uh, Becky, will you travel to Japan? and perform and, and do all this kind of stuff and you know meet your fans in Japan and kind of have like a little bit of a career over there so they were like um 
you know, we'd never really even been to, I'm from the Isle of Man, by the way, which is like a really small offshore island. It's only got about 80,000 people living there. By this point, I'd never even been to London or a main city, let alone, you know, Tokyo and Japan. So they were like, oh, okay, fine, let's do this. And, and my parents' ethos was always, you know, we don't want you to wake up in like, 20, 30 years and be resentful or, or feel regret for not being able to pursue an opportunity because opportunities like that only come once in a lifetime, you know? So um, they were really supportive and, and you know, assisted me to, to pursue those opportunities in a, in a safe way. So what, so these brands would basically like, like fly you out to Japan to do what? Like to, to meet fans, to, to dance, like what, to do what? Yeah, all of it really. Um, in Japan, they have a really different culture um, with pop stars. It's called like idol culture and idols do all sorts of different activities there, which is it's in a little bit of a different way to how it is in the UK. But the, the fundamentals are kind of still there in terms of it's like make music, perform, uh, dance, model, go on tv shows and like you know talk shows that kind of thing um and, and yeah like do like various like uh talent slash idol activities in japan so it was a huge culture shock it was really amazing i still you know when i was there for the first time i was like this really feels like a dream like i don't know what i've done to like land myself here um but i'm going along with the ride you know it's really cool their culture is so different especially like you being from the isle of man which is so sort of it's tiny right what was the sort of like craziest thing you, like you experienced while you were there um i mean it was possibly the first very first time i went to japan so as i said i'd never been to a city before um so we you know got to london stayed overnight got the flight to japan and i was told that um when i would land we have to go straight to this um arena in japan and i was going to be part of this like group of dancers on stage um, who were going to perform the encore dance at this event called Animello Summer Live in 2009. And this was to an audience of 25,000 people. Um, and they gave me the dance to learn on the flight over. So I was sitting in this flight like, oh, my God, what the heck is going on? Um, that's, you know, for me, in terms of scale, I was like, that's uh, maybe two thirds or, or like, you know, a third of the population of my whole country that I'm from. Um, and I'm going to, you know, be performing on a stage like that. So yeah, that was that was maybe the the craziest kind of experience that I had going over there. Wow, that is that is absolutely crazy. And then so after that whole experience that spanned like how many years was that sort of like is it was it, it was obviously like an ongoing thing like going back and forth between Japan and and the UK. So what was the sort of like how many years was that? It felt like a lifetime, but really it was only like um, a, a year or two, to be honest. Uh, pop culture moves on so quickly and ultimately like I'm not fluent in Japanese. So in terms of how, and I, you know, I wasn't really prepared to move over, like move my whole family over there and live there. So in terms of how much can you do in Japan in your school holidays when you don't speak fluent Japanese is like maybe a, a year or two's worth of, <laughs> of activity. And then, yeah, you kind of go from there. So what was sort of like next for you? Like, so you, you were going back and forth from Japan and then that sort of to like dry up. And then were you still kind of making YouTube videos or did you decide, because you must've been what, like, 16 at this at this point something around yeah that? yeah 17? so I continued making YouTube videos all the way through this um, I continued you know making my dance videos and, and talking a little bit about what I was getting up to in Japan um, I had a documentary on BBC3 in 2010 which kind of uh, reported my story and that's how a lot of even today my UK followers know me so um, yeah I continued making YouTube videos but I was feeling to be honest and this is like the start of 
like feeling pressures from the internet but um I was feeling an awful lot of pressure because you know whilst I was making dance videos I was never a professional dancer it was very much a hobby and very much a bit of fun that just ended up you know capturing people's eye and um giving me a little bit of a career in Japan but it was it was not really on and this is what I always say is like it doesn't matter how good you are you have to have that certain amount of luck as well and that's gonna you know make make or break your journey and I had an awful lot of luck with what I did um so you know I was feeling a lot of pressure from like negative comments and and people being kind of mean to me on the internet um and I decided to you know let's change it up I didn't really feel like I wanted to post my dances anymore because I just felt like the pressure was so much um so instead I was like you know what I'm just gonna post any old videos that I kind of want to make and so I started creating mainly um fashion and lifestyle content because whilst I was in Japan I really fell in love with you know the fashion fashion culture that they had over there and I wanted to share a little bit more with that with with the west so yeah I carried on I think that's I think that's really cool you did you did something that you that you genuinely wanted to do rather than like listen to like everyone else if you don't mind like obviously we can I edit it out if you don't want to but like what you were you were so young when you were like so big on YouTube and obviously these negative comments were coming in like how did it affect you that must have been really like difficult growing up with all of that it was really difficult and to be honest it it's kind of came from two directions so I was getting bullied in my school about my YouTube because you know for the most part they didn't know about it but then when like the UK stuff started to happen and, and the BBC documentary um everyone always used to say like oh my god I bet everybody must want to be your friend and I was like it's really the opposite <laughs> so I was dealing with that in real life and then online I mean just it really doesn't matter how how big your your content is online you'll still experience negativity from the back of it um I was really lucky because it, it was for the most part you know one negative comment for every hundred or every thousand really kind positive encouraging ones um but I think if you've been through it yourself, you'll probably understand, but it's the negative ones that really stick out to you the most and keep you up at night mulling over it because you really feel like it's that conflict with who you think you are and like what you think about yourself. And um, to overcome that, it took a, an awful lot of time. I mean, whilst I was that that young, my first thought was they're, they're wrong about me. I really want to reach out to them and change their mind. Um, and as I've kind of grown, as I grew up, I decided to take a different approach which was instead of putting all this energy into trying to convince people who are never going to like me to like me um, I'll instead put that energy into you know building better relationships with the people who are already expressing support for me um, and redirecting my energy in that way really kind of helped me uh, move forward through that period. It was so incredible talking to Becky about her journey of becoming a YouTuber, becoming famous, going to Japan, um, you know, every summer, whatever it was. And of course, not forgetting the, you know, the actual scars that could come with the, you know, the mental health aspects of becoming famous um, so young, you know, being a YouTuber by the age of like 13, 14, um, and all those sort of negative comments that you see. So it was really interesting discussing all that journey. But I really wanted to move on next to sort of where that took her next as she sort of was doing all these fashion videos and she was looking for that sort of next challenge as it were. What was the sort of next step in her journey? Yeah, well, to be honest, it was it was kind of like, I was really at a crossroads of what to do with my life because, and I don't like to say this that much because I don't really think it's, it's the case and I've had, you know, a lot of encouraging stuff happen since then. But when I was around 17, years old I really felt like my life had already peaked I was like this is 
you know, getting famous in Japan and having all of this success when you're so young, it's like, this is everybody's dream um, come true. Like how, how better can it get than this? And so I was really feeling a little bit lost. And I was like, I don't really know what to do with my life you know is it gonna get any better like what's next for me um but that was a silly thought because how you measure success is very different especially as you grow up and I feel a lot more at peace with myself and and more successful now than I did back then so um you know there's a there's a journey there in itself I think um but but I was you know I was continuing making my YouTube videos and I really felt like it was time for a change I didn't go to university um I just didn't really feel like there was anything I particularly wanted to study that badly at that time and I I didn't really like the feeling that at school we were really getting pushed into okay get out of our system you know finish your A-levels that's like our problem okay now you're going to be somebody else's problem at a university and then it's like okay you're just prolonging the inevitable which is like you're going to enter into the big wide world and what you're going to do then so I wasn't really sure what to do I carried on my YouTube for a little bit and I started a few various businesses um, whilst I was doing my YouTube. Um, I started a little fashion brand. Um, I did uh, Patreon for a while where I made some subscription boxes. Um, And I also like played around with the idea of starting um, like a magazine as well. And um, I was doing all of that, but ultimately I was like, I think I need a change of environment. Uh, Whilst I didn't want to go to uni and move away for that, I did want to move away. And so um, I kind of took a plunge and, and moved to London. And I didn't really have like, a plan I was just kind of like I've got to figure something out you know I was making a bit of money from my YouTube but it wasn't really enough to support me massively but I did have some savings from my brand deals and and, you know my work in Japan and and on YouTube so I thought um, I can I've got a little bit of time to figure this out and really fortunately I kind of fell into a, a, a good position one of the brands that I've been working with as a sponsor on my YouTube videos um, was an agency and I really had a very good rapport with them a really good relationship and they were kind of of the mindset that they wanted to um, hire a creator to be part of their team and teach them things that they didn't know about the creator world and that sounded perfect to me it was going to be part-time I would get to learn a lot more about the other side of the experience of being an influencer you know I knew all about being sponsored but I didn't know how to sponsor somebody else so um when I when I moved to London I could start that job pretty much straight away and that was my beginnings into the influence marketing industry that's really really interesting so you worked for this agency and like at that time influencer marketing was still a very new thing right like so you were you entered the market at literally the cusp of like it, it just started so how was that kind of experience and how did that kind of lead you to starting your own one it was so eye-opening so this was late 2016 um, and I started an influencer tech startup business Um, and it was really eye-opening because so many things that I thought were common sense about working with influencers and, and what influencers think about this were absolutely brand new information to the wider industry and it really got me, you know, it, it surprised me, but it also gave me a lot of understanding. And and likewise, so many things that the, the brand side and agency side thought, everybody must know this, um, was brand new information to me. I remember I've spent my first few weeks just writing down with a pen and paper all these acronyms that they were saying. And after every meeting, I was like going away and Googling them. <laughs> I was like, what is this? And it turns out I was like an acronym for a tennis match or something. I was like, okay, now I know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I started this influencer tech tech agency and I worked there for um, about three years. Um, and eventually it actually 
um, went under, went uh, bankrupt and, and was liquidated and everybody who worked there very suddenly lost their jobs, myself included. Um, and it was it was kind of a surprise, but also kind of wasn't because we had seen a lot of issues kind of starting to bubble up with the business. And so whilst we were all trying our best to do our jobs, we also were kind of, you know, un- uncertain about when is this thing going to launch? How is it going to be successful? And, and, you know, everything that comes in with that. So so when we were made redundant, it was it was difficult, but it was also like. I don't really know how there was going to be any other conclusion to the way in which it was being ran. Um, and it was a difficult time. You know, it was quite scary. Myself and my, my colleagues were all like, what do we do now? You know, we're all fighting for the same, like, three jobs in the space. Um, and it, eventually myself and my two co-founders, Joe and Alice. Um, so when you get made redundant, you get, like, a little bit of um, buffer pay from the government in terms of, like, you know, days of holiday that you hadn't used up yet for the year. So we had a, a tiny bit of money to get us started, basically, of a runway to um, actually decide, you know, what we believe in the work that we were doing um, and in the way which we were running our specific department. Um, can we make this work for ourselves, but have, you know, true control of what we're doing, our message, our beliefs, our ethos and how we want to work in the space? And we thought, OK, you tell me if you get a job offer, I'll tell you if I get a job offer and then let's let's go for it. And Two and a half years later, here we still are as, as Pepper Studio, really believing in running influencer campaigns with, um, you know, humans at their heart. So that's kind of the the turbulent story of, of how we got started. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that quickly before we move on to um, actually like a lot like practical advice for helping like other young entrepreneurs when it comes to getting their brand out there when it comes to influencers and when it when it came to starting this like uh, influencer marketing agency which you now have. It must have been really tough. Like, uh, like the the first client is probably the toughest client, right? Like, trying to sell you, trying to sell them your credibility and, and everything that comes with that. How how was that journey of firstly starting it and then also landing that first client? I mean, in terms of like starting the business itself, I'd already had a little bit of business experience from like my small ventures when I was younger. You know, I went, I took some um, business classes that the Isle of Man government put on um, when I was around like 17 and I, you know, I started my little fashion business. So I kind of understood the basics of it a little bit more than my co-founders. So I was like, and, and I'm also a bit more technologically minded than them as well. Whereas they're, I feel like they're such superstars in like, you know, the, the human connections and really growing those client relationships. Whereas I'm a little bit more tech sided, I guess, because, you know, I've made my own YouTube videos and, and everything. I feel like I'm a good learner at getting to grips with it. So I was able to like, you know, set up the website, set us up as a company, get our emails started. Um, and then we basically just kind of built on all of those relationships that we'd ever made throughout the industry. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I always really love getting an email from somebody where they email their whole contact list and say like I've now left this com- company but I'm working for this one now um and I was like oh I get to send one of those now so I emailed everybody that I'd ever met told them you know what we're doing what we're starting and and where you can reach us um and we kind of started from there you know at that time we were taking on really tiny campaigns just to kind of prove a point of you know hey we can do this for a small amount of money and influence marketing is so scalable and adaptable to suit any client's needs that it's as long as you can build that faith on on how a campaign can be successful then really 
it's it's exponential. So um, by this point, we're we're really fortunate to say that the majority of our clients are on repeat business. Um, many of them from you know those very first few weeks as start, um, starting Pepper Studio. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's been a ride for sure. How long has it been going now? It's been going since um, March 2019. So I think that's just over okay. two and a half. It'll be three years in next March um, 2022. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's such an exploding space. And I know I know, I personally, for Wing, have used influencers before in the, like very, very early stage of the business. Like we used it, I think, once for one influencer. It didn't really pay off for us. We were like, okay, it's probably not going to work. But he didn't use the products in the correct way and stuff like that. And there were a few other problems. So it was probably the wrong influencer more than anything. And we just kind of like, we knew one influencer. We were like, it's, yeah, it's worth a shot. Um, but I think a lot of people listening obviously have small businesses and, or large businesses. Um, I don't know who's listening, but a lot of them are listening and might have a business where they are looking at influencers. It's such a booming space at the moment. So I guess like you are very, very well like placed to, to give some tips around how they can really leverage their their marketing spend on, on influencers. Like what's the best way to target an influencer? What's the best way to like use it to grow sales, traction, uh, like followers, whatever, like whatever aim they're trying to do? I mean, I think you, you say it really well just then is the, the first tip is make sure that you're really... Um, narrow with what your call to action is so so many times we get brands saying okay but we want to drive sales but we also want to grow our following and um, we also want people to enter this competition it's like really pick one and also pick the one that's going to work best on social so um whether it is you know increasing your followers or if it's you know driving competition entries via a social mechanism then let's focus on that um you know or 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 we can help capture um you know newsletter signups to widen your funnel various things like that you know influencers can be so useful for so many different things um and, and rather than focusing on that kind of like direct sales objective which it is definitely achievable but you have to be very um specific with with your objectives and all and also really build on that strategy with the influencer as well um so much so much sorry so much of influence marketing is built on on trust with your audience and you know the, the audience will will believe the influencer but also you need to build up that trust with your brand and the influencer as well and often we'll find that you know our third or fourth partnership is the one that really resonates the best with people so you know it it can be it can be really tailored to suit your your needs as a as a brand Mm, okay yeah that makes a lot of sense specific so say if the one objective is say sales for instance and like uh, yeah they they want to basically grow sales by using an influencer basically maximizing any like one pound spent how how would you guys go around like about that um i think it's really important to vet the influencer really well and make sure that their audience is going to be an audience that that resonates well with your target audience so you can do that in a few different ways what we usually do is uh, test and learn methodology so we'll use um, poll functionalities to partner with influencers and actually use them to do a little bit of market research for us Um, and we can ask them questions you know leaning towards your brand so we can find out what the jumping off point is 
with their familiarity with with your product or service um, to then tailor the messaging to really suit you know the stage where your audience um, is is up to so that's something it is making sure you know you, you're reducing your, your wastage as much as possible and, and really honing down on that that target audience and the second would be um, considering usage rights so if you're already uh, and I always rec- would recommend doing influence marketing in tandem with um, all of your other marketing ventures as well there's some brands that obviously do amazing with just influencers by themselves and, and it can work really really well but I think when you're starting up a small business you want to you know, try a bit of everything. Um, and a, a clever way that you can link in influencers with the rest of your pursuits is by securing those um, marketing usage rights. So um, by asking for permission to use the, the content that they produce within your Facebook ads, Twitter ads, um, you know, print imagery in some cases, it can really help use that influencer's authentic content creation style and com- uh, authentic relationship with their audience to bring a little bit of that flavor into your wider marketing mix and see how they compare. I mean, some of the brands that we, we do this with have seen um, a reduce in their CPA from the uh, influencer's own content within their paid marketing spend by 75%. So it can definitely, um, you know, pay, pay dividends, really. Yeah. CPA stands for cost per acquisition, in case anyone's wondering. It does. Sorry, um, I said I said about me you, writing down acronyms. You talk, you talk about... <laughs> Here I am. You talk about acronyms and you're saying them now. <laughs> the biggest one I had to learn was but, um, yeah, that... FMCG. I was like, what on earth is that? Fast moving consumer goods. Right? Why do yeah. we need an acronym for that? <laughs> yeah, stuff like crisps and stuff. Because yeah. I used to work for Pepsi. Oh no way! I, that would that is that is that that is. It that is area. an FMCG. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't know about it before either. But anyway, Becky, we're gonna have to finish it off there. It was such a pleasure talking with you on this episode. I loved having you on. Um, how can people stay in touch with you and Pepper going into the future? So um, please do get in touch. If you have any, even any question, great or small about influence marketing, I'd love to um, chat and help give you some tips and help you avoid any mistakes because I know that it's, you know, sometimes learning is, is the best way to get through it. But please do send over an email to hello at pepper.studio, pepper, like P-E-P-P-E-R and then dot studio. And our website is the same, pepper.studio. Um, we're on Instagram. Um, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, please connect with us and yeah, let's stay in touch. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much, Becky. And I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thank Cheers. You so Thank much. you so much. Thanks so much for staying to the very end of this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as I thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. You have my word on that one. Also subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, There's a lot of content there, very, very good content. So please be sure to not miss that as well. So yeah, that's it from me. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much.